There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Mr. Marcus Del Artino for the second time on Figure It Out, a partner in the firm First Strategic, and he is here to help us break down the upcoming midterm elections. Welcome back, Marcus. No, thanks for having me again, guys. We appreciate it and always happy to help. So state of American politics makes me wonder, should we go through this exercise of the elections or should we just say fuck it? <laughs> wow. You know, I got to I got to admit I I don't think I've ever gotten this question in in many many years of doing this. Uh, you know, I I this is a new one for me. So well, please be please be uh, honest with your answer. You know, no. We should not uh, oh. we should, we should not do the latter would be the best way I could say. It. We should have the election. Um, and, you know, I think when you look historically through um, through the beginning of this country until now, you will see that there were times in history that were much like we are now. Um, and that is very politically divided. Um, and, and there is sort of science behind that. We've seen universities are now conducting sort of how polarized is the country studies and um, have been doing them since the 70s and, and can literally say we are probably the most polarized now than, than we've ever been, uh, including the 70s, which is which is sort of interesting if you remember back what we were going through then as a country. But, you know, the pendulum swings. Um, and so, you know, as I often tell my counterparts, uh, no matter who, how good or how bad you think it is, uh, remember tomorrow a different day will be coming. And I think I think we're you know, approaching the time where we're going to have to have um, some sort of changes, um, and I'm not too sure what they are, but to sort of break down um, the, uh, try and bring the, the country a little bit back towards the middle. Uh, but but we've also had, you know, societal changes that have, that I think have caused some of this. And, and you know, I think when we look at the advent of of social media and, and Twitter and how people Facebook and how people interact with each other on that. Um, it's, it's no surprise that that bleeds into political dialogue as well. No, there's, there's no two ways about it. And I was of course tongue in cheek joking. Um, but so oftentimes we do forget our history and the most prominent politicians ever um, Thomas Jefferson and so many of, of, of our other kind of quote-unquote founding fathers had very, very, very bitter, bitter political rivals and very, very bitter elections and, and exchanges. So times do seem really, very, very bad, but I think kind of to your point, it's always sort of been that way. So Yeah, if you've seen the play Hamilton, you'll know, <laughs> you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, uh, at, the, at the end of the play, you know, one of the the main character there gets shot by his political rival. I don't think we're certainly at that point, but I, but the, but the rhetoric is, um, is really high. There is no doubt about that. And, um, you know, and to a certain extent, 
you know, Congress hasn't been moving quickly to solve problems, and maybe that's because they're just stuck and can't get the votes. But, you know, the lack of action and lack of solutions leads a little bit to um, to this frustration in the electorate. And then that frustration is um, exercised in, um, you know, in sort of the poor ways we talk to each other on Facebook and Twitter and the other social media outlets. And that adds a little bit more fuel to the fire. And then you've got special interests and people are employed to to sort of do things within politics and the electorate that add a little bit more fuel to the fire. And so, you know, I think we've been sitting on sort of a powder keg for a while. And, and you know, hopefully here some point in the future, we'll be letting a little steam out and try and get back to sort of being nice to each other and solving problems. At least that's my hope. There you go. Yeah, that's I th- great. I think that that is a good one. Um, so here we are with the midterm elections coming up and... For lack of a better term, um, what is at stake? I think that there's been a lot of talk about the Democrats being able to take control of the House of Representatives and maybe some Senate seats are up for grabs. But if you could break that down, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that's certainly sort of the popular thought, if you will, is that and really at the end of the day, the House of Representatives being the House of Representatives, we're not too sure how that's going to break and if the Democrats are going to shake control, but they certainly think that they've got a pretty legitimate chance to do that. But I would argue that the focus, at least by the mainstream media, has been on the Senate, the U.S. Senate, and for control over the U.S. Senate. Um, it, interestingly enough, I think most of the seats that are up, you'll remember every two years, a third of the U.S. Senate seats are up for election. This particular cycle, the majority of those seats sort of um, favor Republicans uh, winning. And so it's been a lot more competitive for Democrats than I think, um, you know, uh, Joe Sixpack voter might think um, just sitting at home. But just the geographics of where those those seats uh, are up for election have made it a little bit more uh, tougher than than you wouldn't have ordinarily thought. But the focus is certainly there and we're seeing it here at home. Just turn on your TV for five minutes and you'll miss, you know, you can't help but see, I apologize, can't help but see um, Martha McSally or Kirsten Cinema ads nonstop back to back. And so you can see how much money is being uh, thrown around there just on this campaign alone in Arizona. Yeah, the, the, the dollars are, are pretty extraordinary. So, Marcus, do you have the, the figure on the dollars that are being thrown around? Like, do you have a pretty good sense of like how I know that it's an unprecedented amount of money that's been raised towards that. Do you have any ideas on those actual figures? I don't right now. I mean, it's in the tens of millions, although right now I got to be honest with you, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but I did, but it's in the tens of millions. I can tell you um, from having been in a few TV stations this week that they are as happy as I've ever seen them in their entire life. <laughs> um, and I would be surprised if anybody who works at a TV station is not getting a big fat Christmas bonus this year because of the amount of money that we're spending, uh, not only on that Senate race, but certainly the the propositions and the initiatives that are on the ballot this year too. Uh, but it's made for a pretty healthy payday for those in the, in the TV industry. Got it. So what is, um, what are your thoughts on the McSally cinema race? Well, it's, you know, I, I will it's fascinating for me because it's probably one of the more um, sort of strategic races that we've had in Arizona. Certainly everybody knows, I think at this point, it's a close race Um, and it's a battle of the strategies. Both are very valid strategies. 
Um, and it's just question who's going to prevail at the end. One for, you know, what your listeners probably need to know is that Martha, Martha McSally um, is courting Republicans to turn out in bigger numbers. So as you might imagine, in general elections, um, the voters of Arizona turn out in far greater numbers uh, in presidential elections than they do in um, off-year elections. And this just happens to be an off-year election. Um, she um, obviously is doing well with Republicans, but they're, but Kirsten Sinema still continues to attract about 10 to 15 percent of Republicans over to the Kirsten Sinema camp. So the Martha McSally, stra- Martha McSally strategy is to just increase Republican turnout uh, to big, big numbers uh, to sort of make up for that for that deficit. And that's a valid strategy. And hence the reason she brought Donald Trump to come to town and do a rally and hoping that Republicans who who ordinarily don't vote in off-year elections decide this is the year I'm going to pick up my ballot and I'm going to vote for for Republicans in this off-year. Kirsten Sinema's strategy, um, alternatively, is that, you know, she's holding very well with her Democrats' base, um, and she's trying to pick up independence, and she's doing quite well with that. Uh, but she needs to, one, make sure all the Democrats cast their ballot. And two, make sure the independents that don't ordinarily vote, um, either who don't vote, period, or do not vote in off-year elections are voting this cycle. And she needs to have a pretty healthy turnout of those folks. And how do you do that? Um, You know, the votes, we're competing over the undecideds at this point, which is roughly down to about 7% of the electorate. Um, And, you know, those folks have a tendency to hate the negative ads, the negative campaigning. And when they get too much of it, they want to stay at home. They just get fed up and they say, I don't like either one of them and I'm just not going to vote. And that hurts Kirsten Cinema. So what her, her answer to that is you'll see a lot more positive ads out of her, more issue focused. And what she's hoping to do is inspire those people um, to turn out and vote, realizing that she's not being negative or nasty. So we'll have to see how, those sort of those strategies play out that, you know, there's so much the the problem I think with Kirsten's strategy is there's so many independent groups and organizations, PACs, special interests that are in town doing campaigns or, or advertisements on her behalf that it almost makes like look like her campaign is participating. And when you look at the ads that Kirsten's actually pay, pay, paying for, um, they are a lot more sort of, um, optimistic in in tone. Um, So we'll just have to see how the turnout goes. The turnout models have changed dramatically in the last few months. Uh, The Brett Kavanaugh hearing clearly clearly changed sort of the voting model. I think six months ago, everybody was waiting for the blue wave. It seems Republicans have sort of caught up with that um, and sort of evening out the field. And then now we're just watching the early ballots come in to see how they're performing. Uh, Republicans had an edge in early ballots, but the Democrats um, uh, had a pretty good day yesterday and are starting to catch up. So um, at the end of the day, this race is going to be all about turnout and who shows up. And and we haven't had a good one like that in Arizona, I think, for several years. So uh, if you do politics for a living or you're interested in it, this will be a good one to watch. That's for sure. Nice. There's a couple of other, uh, or rather, a couple of national 
national races that have drawn a ton of attention with, I think, names that are familiar to a lot of people. So I was hoping you uh, could shed some light on those, namely in Texas with Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke, Dianne Feinstein and who she's running against, DeLeon, and then Mitt Romney is also is running in Utah. So do you have thoughts on those? You know, I'd, you, you'll have to pick me up off the sidewalk if Mitt Romney runs into any sort of trouble running for <laughs> Senate in Utah. Um, you know, I, he's, it's his backyard, and I think if you watch what he's doing going around the country campaigning for other people, he feels pretty comfortable where he's at in his race, and I think Mitt will do okay um, and, and overwhelmingly win, win that seat. Um, you know, I think and, and frankly, I expect Ted Cruz to win and Diane Feinstein. I could be, it, they could, I could have a surprise in there. Um, certainly, we'll have some surprises around the Arizona ballot, probably in some some lower levels um, seats that people don't watch as closely as I might. But um, you know, there's always there's always a chance at a surprise. And you know, you got to remember, Diane Feinstein's been around. She's been around politics since actually before I was born. Um, which, right. I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm old. And but she has she has been in the Senate for a very long time. And you know, one of the components that's moving people in this electorate is just it's time for new blood. Um, and and that could finally catch up with her at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but but I think that there's a day approaching that um, you know folks are going to say, look, I might agree with you, but you've just been there for too long, and it's time for you to go. Um, but uh, you know, Ted Cruz seems to be um, sort of doing quite well. I, I would say in the Senate race, he's got a challenge. It's a little bit more of a competitive race for him, but I think he'll survive um, certainly that race. Got it. Are there races that you're keeping a close eye on or that are really intriguing to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a long list, but let me I'll give you a couple of them that, um, you know, I think you're your listeners will probably be um, intrigued by one is um, the attorney general's race. And that is intriguing because general Brnovich, um, you remember Tom Horn was our AG four years ago. He got in a little bit of personal trouble, if you will. Um, There was a girl involved, Uh, but anyway, he, he lost to, um, to Brnovich. Brnovich has been our AG for four years. Um, Did, you know what I would it did a has done a fairly good job. I mean, he has not been over the top high profile, but um certainly took on some hope high profile cases, mainly with tuition at the at the public universities. Um, but got himself in a little interesting situation over prop one twenty seven uh, where they changed the ballot language, and um, those folks, mainly Tom Steyer out of California, who's funding that initiative, was irritated and decided to launch campaign ads um, at, at Attorney General Brnovich. Um, and there is, I think that race will end up being a lot closer than, than people expect. I think a few months ago, people expected um, General Brnovich to sort of walk away with that race with a double-digit win over his opponent. And I think that, uh, I think it'll be a single-digit win um, because it's just been a barrage of multi, you know, they spent, well over uh, $2 million so far right now just attacking him on TV, and I think that's starting to have a drag on wow. on where he's at in his race. Wow. 
Um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously we're going to have a change in the superintendent of public instructions office. I know that that's important to a lot of parents. Um, and that is a sort of a, it's a money that's got no money. It's a race that's got no money involved in it, meaning neither candidate can afford to, uh, to put too much into their, their campaign at this point. But it looks like if I were a guessing man today, I would say Democrat Kathy Hoffman has a, has a little bit of an edge on uh, on Frank Riggs, and that's a that's a race that you know essentially coattails will depend on uh, if enough Republicans turn out, then Frank might be able to sort of pull that race off. Uh, if the Democrats perform well, and Kirsten's able to accomplish her mission of um, of getting Democrats and Independents to turn out, I think that'll have coattails effect effect for for Kathy Hoffman. Um, and then our state legislature, I think, uh, is uh, got a number of seats that that are in play, um, all depending on sort of turnout models and and who shows up in those districts. But there's there's always that chance that the state senate could flip. Although I think on the you know as we get closer to election day, I think that's a less and less chance. Uh, but I think the Republicans will lose a few seats in the in the state house of representatives. That means a closer margin, um, and I think a little bit of probably a little bit of moderating, if you will, for the for the state house representatives. And correct me if I'm wrong, but historically, um, Arizona's been a pretty red state. Do you see that has has that trend been, been been moving more towards blue and five years from now do you think that the state could look different? You know, it's funny, I just got that question I, I ran into Chuck Todd while he was in town uh, for meet the press and he asked me that exact same question and I and I'll try and answer it the same way and that is you know I've lived here my entire life and you know the the fact of the matter is Arizona has been growing at epic proportions when Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the entire country um, the state's one of the fastest growing in the country um, and so there is absolutely no doubt that the that Although we have success in growing companies and growing jobs um, and housing market is uh, back to booming, that that has an effect on the electorate. Um, when you move people from California or Chicago or New York or wherever it may be, we're going to have a change in our in our electorate. And although, um, you know, some argue that Arizona will always be red, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I I'd also say that Arizona has a little bit more libertarian in it than a, than a straight sort of Republican view, um, at least historically. But, um, you know, 70% of the people in Arizona are not native to Arizona. They grew up somewhere else. And I think that that's changing it. I think in, yeah, certainly in five years, it'll be a little, little closer to purple, but it's also going to depend on who these who each party puts up as their candidates and you know i think that there's a pretty good example just in this election if you look at kirsten cinema's campaign she's run much more as sort of a middle of the ground democrat middle of the road democrat i should say and had pretty pretty good success doing that i mean she's in a very competitive race for the u.s senate um as opposed to david garcia who was running for governor and took a much more left uh, turn in his policies and was never able to sort of catch fire. Um, and so I think that tells you that Arizonans aren't ready to go to the far left. I don't think they want to go to the far right. 
I think they want a little bit more more of a middle of the road sort of candidate. Marcus, I'd be I'd be curious to know. I know this is more of a problem nationwide, but I'm I just want to know if it's an Arizona thing that we need to be um, cognizant of. Uh, talk to us a little bit about and quickly about voter suppression. I was reading that the you know the ACLU believes that this could be an issue in this election in Arizona, but don't know if there's any traction behind that given what's going on in Georgia. Do you have any insight? I don't. I don't have any insight in specifically into Georgia. I will tell you that um, if for if for real hardcore examples of voter suppression. I've always seen it far more in other states than I have here in Arizona. But I will tell you that we do have voter suppression. People just write it off as negative campaigning. But you've got to remember the negative campaigning is sort of a, it is a factor in voter suppression. Uh, when people get turned off by the amount of negative ads and the attacks and, um, you know, I, I don't even want to turn on my own TV at home. Um, so that has an effect on people. There's no doubt about it. And it drives less people to go to the polls and exercise. Um, but I will tell you, I've heard horror stories in other states, um, you know, Texas, California, um, and certainly in Nevada of just really more sophisticated voter suppression stories to, to almost to the point where they'll tell people that election day is actually on a different day. Um, it, it, so we don't have too many of those examples here in Arizona, but it is a real thing and people should be cognizant of it and just, you know, be the better person. Go vote. Marcus, I, I think, I mean, this call and this podcast is very illuminating, but for those of us listening who just need a little bit more time to process and digest who haven't already voted, where's a good nonpartisan resource to say, I just want to sit down, look at each of the candidates, look at each of the props that are coming on and kind of be able to decide for myself, but I don't want to be influenced by one way or the other. What's a good resource for folks to go to? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and I, I get it a lot. Um, I would refer you to your voter pamphlet that will show up in your mail, number one, especially for, um, for the ballot initiatives. Um, you'll get yes you'll get the language that's in the ballot initiative you can actually read it for yourself you'll see the ballot language as it appears on your ballot meaning what's what you're what it's going to say is means a yes and what it's going to say means a no um and then you'll get letters that the public are able to write in um into the ballot book that give you their arguments and why they're for it and against it so um you know maybe it's the chamber of commerce and maybe it's your neighbor uh, who wrote a letter um, feeling passionately about one side or the other. But I find that the way they put that together is probably one of the more nonpartisan um, publications to do it. The other one, um, and especially really for candidates, is to check um, the Clean Elections uh, website. And they um, their uh, candidates are allowed uh, – I, I can't remember if it's 250 words or 500 words – to be able to write a little bit. Uh, to the voters about themselves and what their campaigns um, stand for. And I think that that's sort of a pretty fair way to go about it. Um, yeah, I would, you, those are probably your two best resources. Um, and then, you know, the opposite idea is just to read as much as humanly possible um, from both candidates' websites or from the proposition websites themselves. 
and see what kind of information knowing that knowing that the concept of the course is to try and uh, garner your vote if you will but being cognizant of that of certain points that may exist that that don't get pointed out other places excellent that is awesome advice and i was just thinking if i happen to throw that pamphlet away do you know if i can find that online somewhere you can you can find it on the arizona secretary of state's uh website um i'm gonna see if i can pull that up for you actually right as we speak i used to have this off the top of my head That's a- <laughs> uh, but they they changed they changed the url that's it's good. just avsos.gov. It. So www.azsos.gov. Excellent. And there is a um, a button on there for elections, and they'll have more information than you probably ever wanted <laughs> to know um, regarding the election, and even to the point of if you want to know who's put money into different um, initiatives and referendums, um, you can look that up as well. Nice. And where can people sign up to to do the early ballot? That you can do that from the Secretary of State's website as well. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, it, you really get referred to um, to the counties who actually do that sort of work. But there's a button on azsos.gov to get an early ballot. The other place you can do it is called Service Arizona, and you can just you know, Google Service Arizona. And that website is great because you can do a number of things, including changing, you know, your address for your car registration. But one of the things you can do is request an early ballot to be um, to be sent to you. Nice. Do you have any idea what percentage of Arizonans do that, do early balloting? Or maybe even nationally? Um, we used to be, I think we're, we used to be at 50% and it was growing. So Wow. Um, it'll, this, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. What it's difficult because sometimes, you know, what people have a tendency to do is, and I think we're going to see a lot of it this election season is when early balloting first was developed, everybody, um, you know, there was a smaller percentage of voters obviously that were doing it, but when they'd get their ballot, they'd fill it out and stick it right in the mail and they were done with it. Now, in today's world, you know, you've got 30 days of early voting. They're holding on to their ballots longer and longer and longer. And so you take that ballot on all of a sudden you turn on the news on election day and you go, "Uh Oh, I forgot to return my early ballot. So you fill it out at home and then run and drop it off in a little bin at your polling place. I would argue that that's an early ballot. Other folks argue that that is technically an election day ballot because you've dropped it off on election day. And so um, there is a little bit of mixing in uh, numbers in there. But remember, when people complain that it takes, you know, maybe three days to finally get the end results of an election day, which we're going to do this this election, I'm sure, for several races. Part of that is because people wait until the last minute and drop their ballot off um, at the polling place. And when you do that, it does take time to count that ballot. I know the counties have been doing a lot better um, with that, um, with, you know, using technology and other resources to try and get those ballots processed as fast as possible. But there may be just some delay time um, on getting to the final result of some of these elections due to that, due to that issue of people dropping off their ballots the day of. Got it. 
Awesome stuff, Marcus. We really appreciate it. Anything else you'd like to share? I think that's it. Where can people follow you? I am at on Twitter. I'm at Marcus at Marcus Dell M A R C U S D E L L. Awesome. And then the name of our firm is called First Strategic. It's all one word, and um, that's our website www.firststrategic.com. We're a bipartisan uh, political consulting and government relations firm in Arizona, and uh, and we've got Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. I love it, Centauri. Anything else? No, answered all my questions. That was informative. And even someone who's, I feel like I'm fairly well-versed in the political process and what's going on. This really helped kind of shape what I'm, shape my ideas going into voting. So thank you so much, Marcus. Yeah, Marcus, thanks so much. Glad to. Anytime. Take care, you guys. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Please do subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star review and keep questioning because the struggle is real. On behalf of Centauri and I, thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and feel free to share the show on social media. Thanks a lot.